All right, do we have a fun episode for you guys today? I'm Kane Winstead. I'm Matthew Derrigan. And you're listening to the Untold Talks of Spider-Man, a podcast about deep cuts, forgotten classics, and what it truly means to be a Spider-Man story. Matt, since you were the mastermind behind this, why don't you tell our listeners what's going on? All right, today we've done it. We have the ultimate interview for the Slingers. We got Joseph Harris and Criss Cross, who's the principal artist throughout the series, to talk everything Slingers that they could remember, you know, decade plus later. <laughs> it was incredible. I hope you guys enjoy it. I do want to make a quick note. We had some struggles getting some technical stuff to work, so Chris kind of pops on pretty quickly after we start. And that's kind of one of the small little hiccups we dealt with, but it shouldn't throw you off too much when you're listening through. All right. So unfortunately, I was out of town, so I was not able to participate in the interview. But Matt is a one man slingers machine. So I knew he had it handled. Um, Before we dive into the interview, anything else you want to add, Matt? Not really. I hope you guys enjoy this. Uh, This was to me, I think our biggest interview yet, I'm sure a lot of people feel the Jam DeMatteis interview was bigger shakes, but uh, this was something else to have, you know, the principal creators of a short run book talk about what they did, I, I think leads to a lot of different places that I could have never predicted and clears up some misconceptions I had about the development of the book that I got from researching it online. Hey guys, Matt here. I just wanted to chime in real quick and say that the interview starts right away. You'll be hearing Joseph Harris talking. Uh, We lost a little bit of audio where he introduced himself, but that is indeed him. And then Criss Cross comes in very quickly thereafter, and you'll be hearing everything worthwhile of substance. I'm sorry that the introduction got lost, but uh, it did. So... Once again, hope you all enjoy, and we'll be talking to you on the other side. So initially, you pitched this with Adam uh, Polina. Is that how you say his last name? Uh, Polina. Polina. No, no, that's not. That's not actually what. Uh, that's not how it came together. I think Adam's okay. involvement. Adam's involvement. If I mean, this is going back. I'm just trying to. Rem- <laughs> trying to keep the timeline of all of this straight. I mean, we had a big launch whatever weekend that whatever week that was in whatever year that was and there were the four, you know, the four variant and right right and there, then there were the four variant interior uh so there were four variants on the stands that day and i think if memory serves the wizard uh magazine issue for that month also came out on that day and they wanted to do a zero issue which uh was not part of the original plan but um I remember being really, I remember being really happy that we got to tell that short story because it provided setup that I was going to have to then, I, I had already been planning on going back and filling in later. Um, but at the time when that opportunity came up, I think we had to move really fast. And as with most monthly series back then, and probably today too, I mean, schedule is always a problem. And I think in a time crunch, and I, so I, so uh, the editor needed someone else to draw it, and Adam was a close childhood friend of mine who was more than happy to do it with us. Great. I, I think Chris just popped on. Is, can you hear yeah, us? Yeah, I think I'm in. I yeah, think I'm in. you're here. Hey, yeah. man. 
I had to I had to do a whole workaround. Oh man, I'm I sorry. Set up a whole no no. It's probably something uh, on my end probably canceled out or something like that. Or said I hadn't used it in a while. Hey, all right. Well, thank you so much. Yeah, I only uh, started um, with Joe. We were talking about the book mostly before you got on, I believe, when um, he was working through with Adam on whatever ended up being the Wizard Zero issue. Right, that was a long time ago. Though. I'm still trying, trying, trying to remember all that stuff because I think I came in that just, just before I started working on Captain Marvel. Right. And, yeah, um, no, man, I, I can hardly remember this stuff either, believe me. I'm, it's a trip. <laughs> yeah, I should have tried to refresh myself with the stuff before this uh, particular meeting, but there was so much, still so much going on right now, so <laughs> it actually left my mind. My apologies again. Hey. That's why I've been doing this for like 30 years, stop forgetting stuff. Understandable. I'll, I'll see if I can't eke out uh, anything out of the memories here, so if you could just meditate back to 1998 you know just mm. a few years ago right when i was skinnier hey we all were right <laughs> um so yeah so uh joe you're talking about when uh adam was your childhood friend you said and was this i mean how did this come about because this is spinning out of a uh, spider-man event where the four identities were created so right how many, like, do you remember, like, what kind of notes you were given, or how, like, did you have to pitch anything? Was it pitched to you? How did that... Oh, well, I mean, yeah, I mean, that event, I, I had just started working at Marvel and in comics. I mean, this was the first monthly gig I ever had, and I'd only written a couple of fill-ins here and there before uh, they offered this to me, and <clears throat> I, I mean, I remember knowing about I, it it might have already been in motion, that whole identity crisis storyline. That might have already been uh, happening when they came up with this idea. I don't remember where in the, you know, in the schedule of that original Spider-Man story coming out that Slingers actually first started being talked about. But um, they they told me they wanted to launch a, a series starring these four personas. And uh, I went away for a little while and came up with this notion for what eventually became what you saw in the book. Um, and that was, you know, I think it came out of the whole clone saga thing, right? Did it? <laughs> no, it was the, it was the it was the identity crisis thing. It was the uh, oh. <laughs> See what I'm saying? How I can't remember. <laughs> yeah. Because I know this, there was this whole crazy identity thing and. You know, a la Superman also, he died. He had four personas. I'm trying to wonder who's who came out first. It probably was uh, the whole Spider-Man thing first. And um, I think I just finished doing X-Men for, like, doing a couple of issues of X-Men. And I had the choice of either staying on X-Men or jumping on this new book called The Slingers. And I always kind of wanted to work on the whole Spider-Man stuff or anything Spider-Man. And then they told me about this new screenwriter guy who started working in, <laughs> working in comics. And you could tell that brother fresh from California too. He just looked that relaxed. So, um, ah. uh, you know, he came in. You're talking about, I'm not so relaxed. <laughs> <laughs> nah, he had the long curly hair and he had his shirt on, a little t-shirt, and his, his jeans. I still remember that. He said, how you doing, girls? I was like, this brother's <laughs> mad relaxed. I don't know how to do that. 
So, um, yeah, but we, we kind of met and then, um, we all started talking about what we were going to do. And I was kind of made fun of because they were like, yo, you're on the X type. Why are you going to leave that for slingers? And I was like, cause I want to do some Spider-Man stuff. And they're like, really? The X-Man is going to be a big deal. I'm like, okay. All right. I still want to do that slinger stuff. So, uh, you know, was, yeah, people forget we, that back then, I mean, Spider-Man was, I, I, it's it's hard to I mean not that I follow the books all that closely but it was kind of like I I, I don't, I don't want to be uh, overly critical of anything but it wasn't it seemed like uh, I, I mean the 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 feeling back then is that maybe it wasn't uh, as glorious a time I mean for Marvel in general I think when we started doing this right I mean the company was in bankruptcy a lot of these titles were in were in disrepair and I don't know people were throwing things against the wall and. Mm-hmm. You know, probably probably one of the more fun times. Right. Probably one of the more fun time in comics because they they were trying to do stuff that normally you wouldn't get to do. But um, yeah, I just thought that uh, it would be cool to jump with something totally new and um, you know, try to get my name out there and you know, kind of flex a bit. Uh, I think I kind of got the the bug on the whole sling and stuff because one of the books in X Men had Spider Man in it, and I think there was a couple of pages of Spider Man that I did in the X-Men book that kind of caught the attention of a lot of the editors. So they said, yeah, I think he'd be really good doing Spider-Man. And then this came out and I was like, okay, I'm down for it. So let's make it happen, you know, but yeah, Spider-Man wasn't exactly the monster that it is now, but, um, they, I mean, they have this whole spider universe now. So, <laughs> well, yeah, uh, we were, I think me and Joe, uh, Joe kind of chomping at the bit. Yeah, that's cool you mentioned that, because this was late 90s, so that was kind of peak X-Fever time, you know, coming down from the Jim Lee era, all that. Mm -hmm. And Spider-Man was probably at a lower point coming out of the Clone Saga, which you mentioned earlier. That sounds right. So it sounds like you both had a love for Spider-Man that came from not when you were working on it, but I'm assuming, you know, growing up, or... Well, yeah, I was a fan before. Yeah, I think we were both fans, right? both fans before we started doing doing any actual comics yeah no question i mean i grew up on uh you know classic issues and especially those 60s cartoons i think that was probably my first uh exposure to spider-man and a lot of the marvel heroes when i was a child um and then reading them you know again through 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 the years and and uh to say that it was a trip to be able to 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 work on Spider-Man when I was, you know, just out of college and just new to comics was, is an understatement. Uh, it was, he wasn't in all that many pages, you know, front to back of the series, but it was a lot mm. of fun. Those that wasn't. Yeah. Uh, we had a lot of fun with the Slinger stuff though. I mean, it's just getting into the, well, I guess getting into the angst of the young characters and kind of playing off of each other. I think it was, they were still trying to learn how to be a team and, Kind of getting on each other's nerves, and each one that had had their own little secrets in the background from each other, um, uh, and trying to be able to be able to truly uh, tell the story that that Joe really wanted to put down, and in a lot of ways, the way I still kind of do it, like I always try to one up the, the writer so that he tries that to the right tries to one up me when we're trying to do actual work together. So trying to kind of adds this really cool vibe to the book that each other's really trying to do a great story by trying to make each other work harder so um but i seen have been doing a lot of group books up until that point and i think that first issue was a killer because i think i did like 97 pages of work in three months 
I was going to ask about that. Did you get more lead time? Because that was effectively about three issues worth of work that was being released all in one go. Ah, no. Holy moly. I, I, I mean, I know it must have been a trip for Joe to write, you know, uh, a, a group from three different views of a, of a particular situation. And it was definitely a trip for me to have to draw it, especially after the first initial, I want to say 30, 30, 40 pages. And then each character kind of had their own spin to it, and then it was like different covers for each one of them. Yeah, and, uh, the covers were cool. I like the four covers on that first issue. Mm. Yeah, I was thinking video game, like they, yeah, back I remember, in the day. Yeah, I remember the conversation. Yep. <laughs> yeah, like you were tapping in the the mm-hmm. big uh, the big version of that character sliding into view, and then the uh, the other characters in the bottle kind of slide to the left. I was kind of thinking that I don't know if it really came out that way because I had it in a particular order, but I don't think it came out in that order. I mean, no, I think it evoked like a like a Street Fighter type thing to me. I, I yeah, that's that. I good, that good. That, then it came through. <laughs> I still kind of think about that. I mean, because I actually I was looking through my closet and I actually bumped into two of two of the books itself, and then I saw that particular book and I was like, I wonder if that still came off the way it was supposed to, especially those covers. But the coolest part was actually having Sean Martin bro actually ink some of my pages because he was he was really doing a lot of inking stuff at that time. Mm-hmm. Uh, but now he's you know do, full fledged inking you know doing his, doing all the chores himself. So especially with the uh, Thief of Thieves stuff he's doing with uh with um some of my brains farting today. Um, on I think it's Skybound, I think it is. Oh, Thief of Thieves, yeah. Yeah. So he's doing that stuff now, but. Yeah, but that that was really cool to jam on that project because he and I went to school of visual arts. We always kind of talked about working with each other at some point in some, some capacity. And then um, all the other pages I had to do within a certain amount of time. I don't even know how I got through it. Yeah, I think this would account for why uh, why Adam did the zero issue. Because uh, if I remember correctly, Wizard presented that idea to Marvel really late in the game and we had to... In order to take advantage of it, we had to move really fast. I think I wrote that. How Wait, many Wizard pitched that? Yeah, that, yeah, I think it was Wizard's idea because they, they knew we were launching this book, and they said, "Do you want to do you want to do the zero issue, polybagged with, with with that month's Wizard?" And I'm pretty sure I had to write it like in a day or two <laughs> over a weekend, and Holy I had moment. to get done real fast. Yeah. Was there, how much stress was that? I don't know how much stress is it always. I mean, <laughs> you <not>. really, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> got to pay that rent, so <laughs> I get it done. So I wanted to ask because Chris brought up that he's always trying to one up, which is something I've heard a lot of great artists say when they're talking about it. What was the process you used for going through this book? Was it like a plot script thing, or is there a lot of passing back and forth? It was uh, plot script, right? Yeah, I think it was. It was probably back then. I was probably giving Chris like. 50% script, but, you know, not entirely, I think. I probably wrote too much per page, per panel, per line, you know, that's, I pretty, I don't have to go back and look to guess that that's probably the case. Yeah, I mean, and, uh, I think some of the pages was like 15 panels, depending what? on what it was. <laughs> no, I mean, because cause the problem is, it's not all his, it's not really his fault. I mean, my brain kind of thinks in animation, so, um, and not just an animation that it has to it has to I'm read willing a certain to believe way it's my fault, man. It's okay. Okay, then it's all your fault. <laughs> <laughs> but I mean, when he, when a person gives you a certain nugget, a nugget of information, my thought process is to try to 
try to break it down in such a way so that it's easier on the eye and it tells a story a certain way. So when he would give me something, I would kind of ad lib in a certain way on one of the panels so it looked like it has a connective tissue to the next panel, otherwise it kind of jumps back and forth. So in doing that, which is one of the problems in the beginning of like Captain Marvel I started going through, I had to learn how to cut back a bit. Peter David used to start with these just full plots with barely any script. And they would wind up with like 15, almost 20 pounds on the page sometimes. And he was like, what's going on here? I'm like, well, you put all this information in here. And I had to kind of smooth it out a bit. And he's looking like, oh, okay, let's just talk, try plot script or maybe full script to where it goes from there. Because it was just, it became all these little panels. And uh, some of the stuff, especially for uh, Slingers, kind of started out with, especially since I started with Slingers first. But um, I was so busy trying to prove myself. I just wanted to make sure that stuff read in a certain way that made it exciting. So if you would put a person who's walking, you know, one of the characters jump off the roof to sw- uh, like kind of fly to another part of, the, uh, part of the city, I would have to make it a whole big grand campaign. And at some point I had to ask myself, why was I doing that? So um, it was a lot of kinks I had to work out. But my thing was to try to bring out as much of Joe's script and the characters and, and the feeling he was trying to input into it as possible. So, and trying to tap into his spirit of how he was doing things. Um, I tried to make it, you know, try to one up him by trying to add a little bit more to it so that it became more real to the people who were actually reading, reading the story. Yeah, no, I mean, you're, when you were on that book, there is certainly a feeling that carried through when the other artists were doing something. It felt a little more stock comic book and it worked, but like there's some magic that you two had that really, I think, is part of the reason this thing's been something of a cult hit. Has it? Well, I've been out the loop. <laughs> I, according to, you know, Wikipedia, which is the source of all these things, it's a cult hit. I just remember buying it at the time and loving it. So I don't know if I'm a good judge there. Is there a well, trade? No, there's no trade, is there? There is no yeah, trade. Why is that? Uh, I mean, we yeah. last about what? About eight issues? Nine 12, issues before the 12, 12 was it? Well, 12 I think issues I was gonna... plus the zero plus all the, all the variant material. Right. I don't, I don't know how far I got. I don't think I got to the last issue, though. I think that's when I was offered Captain Marvel in the middle of it, like around issue 9 or 10 or something sure. like that. Yeah. But I, I tried to do, tried to get in there to do breakdowns, but I couldn't handle both books at the same time. So, But, you know, uh, well, I guess I'm going to guess that Joe had you know a really good time doing it, but it was kind of, I think after a while, I just kind of got, I don't think people really paying much attention to who, the books itself uh as it was coming out, uh, I'm not saying the fans. I'm talking about just internally. So after a while, oh, I just yeah, kind of no, thought that's a, that's a that's a common thing. I mean, we launched really high, and then I think yeah, a lot of attention dropped off within the company and uh, and outside. Sure. Okay. Yeah, so we were inside trying to really you know plug away, to try to get people to pay attention, and we didn't think we were getting enough play uh, advertising wise for the book itself. So. I think that might be part of the thought process as why I kind of went down. Okay, and because I, I want to move on from the origins a bit, I, I just have to ask, like, that issue number one with the four variants that has all the different matter in the middle, was that something Marvel mentioned in the pitch, or is that one of your ideas, or how did that come I, about? It definitely came from the Marvel end of things, Um uh, I don't remember what my reaction was to... I mean, I'm sure I saw it as 
a creative challenge and this sounds cool and all that, but I don't remember the reaction being that, 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 uh, <laughs> that excited to have to buy four issues of cover price when you weren't getting four entirely original, uh, uh, issues for your money. Um, so I, I remember it was a very polarizing gimmick. Um, it was, I think it was a little smart because kind of came from the view of each one of the characters, which is something that no one else had actually done at the time. Yeah, so. no, it was a novel idea. It was a novel idea. I, I agree with that. But uh, I just remember the reaction being polarizing. And I, I, I mean, I can understand why. It wasn't my, it wasn't my, uh, uh, that definitely wasn't my idea. That was, that came from Marvel Marketing. And then we just, mm. you know, tried to make the pieces work. Gotcha. Okay. And then, because was Chris initially supposed to be the artist? Because you mentioned Adam was on there, but it sounded like the Zero issue came in later. So yeah, the Zero issue. No, Chris was the Chris was the artist from the beginning. Um, it's just the Zero issue. The opportunity to do the Zero issue came up really late in the game with regard to when issue one was coming out, and Chris was already drawing like three issues worth of comics for that issue one. And I, I think if memory serves, that's really how that all came together. Okay. Hmm. That's crazy. And that's totally misreported on this book. Uh, in all my research is it's assumed I, that I actually, I wasn't even aware that the, 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 someone actually had to bring that issue to me, the, the zero, the zero issue, because I didn't know what was happening up until the <laughs> point. So I working on the book and then they gave me, I think, uh, Adam's stuff. At the time, so I'd be able to, uh, I can be able to reference from it, from the pages, pages itself. Can't seem to That's talk funny. to me. I'm, 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 but, um, I'm pretty certain he was drawing with your pages as reference. Really? I think I so. Cause, I, cause you were, I, I'm pretty sure you were, you were well, well into drawing issue one when the opportunity to do that zero issue happened. That might be possible. Cause I think, cause you, cause I think you were, cause I think you had, I mean, you, if memory serves, wasn't there like uh, I mean, there were a bunch of fill-ins, so it was a matter of I'm I'm pretty sure the at uh, the, the zero thing really came up like a whirlwind, and they just wanted to get it done ASAP and not take you further away from the regular pencils. Mm. It's a distinct possibility because I know that that number one, well, quote unquote number one, was a really big task. So yeah, <laughs> it actually put me in anything else, man. Like nah, y'all trying to kill me. <laughs> That's crazy. Yeah, that was a lot of work. Okay, so I, I'm guessing I still remember getting those pages done too, especially <laughs> that one particular scene with the uh, the subway scene, uh-huh. where um, uh, I think it was which one was it? Was it uh, ah man, which character was it? I think it might have been um, uh, what's the, the dusk? I think it was. And right. Yeah. Sitting on this, like waiting at the, the the train station, and something happened with the train that wound up. They tipping it off the tracks and they would crash into the platform itself. And right. I had to draw it in such, such a way it was almost animated where she had to like, she was either trying to jump out the way or it might have been Ricochet was trying to jump out the way and Dust kind of has some, some way of trying to get her, his attention or something like that. It was, it was a lot of stuff going on that, that particular issue. I have to go back and look at it again, but I'm distinctively putting that page together thinking like, Oh, I got to get this done by a Wednesday, and I think it was a Tuesday when I was getting it all done. Oh, that's nuts. <laughs> yeah. All I was thinking about was like, this better be a good check. Because, <laughs> <laughs> crap, there was a lot going on in that book. Yeah. I mean, it came through mm. at the end. Um, 
I also wanted to ask the every issue has this little tagline up by the logo that's very familiar. With great power must also come great responsibility. Was that mm-hmm. just to try to tie it to Spider Man, or is there supposed to be something more going on there? Uh, well, I think that's you know that being this overarching theme for Spider Man and all Spider Man more or less touches right. That definitely uh, thematically. Um, I think we tried to adhere to that in whatever, uh, you know, with whatever wavelength we were doing our thing with, we tried to make it fit within that ethos, you know, and I think, uh, and clearly, I mean, Marvel put it on there to tie it to to Spider-Man for sure. Well, I mean, it started in Spider-Man, so I figured we wanted to keep it in that universe, but, um, I think he eventually showed up at a particular point, if I remember right. Yeah, no, he's on the cover for issue two. He's on variant cover for issue. He's on Ringo's cover for issue one, isn't he? Mm, I think so. Like I said, it's been a while, but I actually drew him in in a couple, maybe what, two or three pages of it at some point. Mm-hmm. But um, but yeah, uh, it was kind of every time I had the chance to jump, draw that character, I wanted to try to really put my foot in it. But um, you know, it was kind of a tease. I was kind of hoping to see Peter Parker a little bit more, but I think we both were. But I guess we had to get some of the other stuff out the way. Yeah, that was teased in the book that, um, because, I mean, obviously, in the story prior, uh, Spider-Man had these identities, like we talked about before, and that's what's carrying through, and that's kind of the hook about this. But that gets dropped, I assume, because the book uh, ended before it had a chance to go through that. Was there a plan for Spider-Man's involvement? Oh, God, I don't... Did we even get past the first year of the thought process? I mean, I think we, we, were just some, we had some rough ideas about what we would do in year two. I'm trying to remember if Spider-Man, if there was going to be more. I, I, I'll be honest with you. I don't remember. I don't remember. if I, I'm, I'm almost certain that we were going to bring Peter Parker and Spider-Man back in, but I can't tell you what the plans were uh, in that regard. If there was more of a... Uh, I mean, a lot of things got changed along the way, as normally happens. You know, I think the genesis for this. I had originally hoped we would keep it more Spider-Man centric in terms of who the villains were and what the, you know, trying to keep some familiarity in that regard. I think, you know, my earliest drafts of the pitch uh, that were uh, initially shot down, I'm pretty sure the idea of bring for bringing back the black Marvel happened because they wouldn't let me use Mysterio. I'm almost certain that was, that was what Hmm. happened initially. I wanted to use Mysterio and I think, I think Marvel Knights, wasn't he involved in that Daredevil storyline back then? I'm pretty sure that's what happened. Right, he might have been dead, depending on the timing. Right. Well, I, I, I was really excited to use Mysterio. That was my first instinct. I always loved that character as a kid. But uh, just goes to show, I mean, once you start working on these things, you find out you can't do things for reasons that aren't necessarily rational, but you, you know, you, you, you have to solve them creatively. That's crazy too, because the Slingers were just brought back in right bumped up next to a Mysterio story in Scarlet Spiders. So there's some sort of kismet going on there. <laughs> yeah. Like, like I said, I was like, it's been a long time, so I can't remember exactly a lot of that stuff, but, um, I just remember, uh, just, uh, a lot of the cool stuff that was starting to work out through Slingers itself in the first year. And I think at some point, me and Joe actually talked about what he had may have had in mind for the second season, if we were going to go that far. But 
Uh, I think Afterlife I issue to seven. Asgard. I know that much. We had talked about Asgard. Definitely, yeah. We had talked about Asgard, and I always—they never would have let me do this, but I really wanted Hornet to be able to lift Thor's hammer. I remember having this discussion, and uh, I had really good reasons why that memory has robbed me, perhaps, of the ability to fully articulate. But um, I always liked the nobility of that character in dealing with. Uh, being disabled and having this freedom when he was in the suit and uh, the idea of him being worthy to lift the hammer is something I wanted to work toward. Mm -hmm. That plays to what I felt like a lot of the theme was around the book was exploring or kind of countering the idea of what makes a hero or different ways you could be heroic. Was I just uh, making stuff up there? No, I don't think so. I mean, I mean, the genesis of the, of the series was, uh, you know, young people in crisis, young people fucking up on a big on a big level, and then having to deal with a mess, which wasn't really a a way to get into a Marvel comic story that I was used to, at, at least then. And I came from this background that was very much New York independent film, where everything was gritty and introspective, and and dealing with kids in crisis. And you know, I wanted to bring that to to Marvel comics. That's what I thought. I was doing and whether or not I did, you know, your mileage may vary, but that was the, that was definitely the, 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 you know, where I was coming from in the beginning. And I thought that dovetailed into uh, what Marvel comics are supposed to be and what uh, 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 these characters, you know, within the spider verse should aspire to. And, uh, you know, that was, that's just where I was coming from at that time. And that, you know, would then dovetail into other things I would have liked to have done because I was always a fan of things like, you know, Chris Claremont and Art Adams bringing the X-Men and New Mutants to Asgard or, you know, other classic storylines you grow up with that really resonated with you. I, I, I tried to, I started thinking, how can I apply this, this different lens we're trying to go for in Slingers to some of my favorite things in the Marvel Universe? We didn't get to do all that much of it, but that was where I was coming from. Right. That's great. And I want to bounce back to that. But first, uh, Chris, I was wondering with um, particularly Prodigy and the Black Marvel, you were able to, at certain points, draw them very heroically, and then other points, draw them in a light that was very villainous. Was there some trick there or something to that to make that work? Any particular character you're talking about? Prodigy and Black Marvel throughout the book. Yeah, I think, uh, well, Usually that's more about storytelling to begin with. I mean, when you start having to play with shadow and start playing with, uh, you know, uh, emotion and, and spirit of a particular character, uh, the way that, uh, the writer has to write it in a certain way, I have to be able to convey what he's trying to post, what he's trying to put out there for in a visual and in a spiritual vibe so that it kind of brings the reader along in a certain way. But, um, there's always different tricks to make it happen, but, you kind of have to, uh, kind of live in the, in the, uh, live in the story that's being created, you know, to try to, uh, create this particular vibe that kind of, that kind of brings people in. And I would think that, uh, when he needed something that was more ominous, I had, a, you know, there's certain, of course, light tricks and certain, uh, gray, graying areas or certain spotting of blacks and certain way you'd be able to hold up a camera to a particular character to kind of make them appear more ominous than they really are. And in some cases, adding shadow and, you know, certain light sources or to really pull that off. But more for the most part, um, I think one of the things I always try to excel in is to, uh, like, bot the way the, uh, the person holds their body 
in a particular way when they're when they're talking, when they're emoting in a certain way. All those things kind of add up to uh, how you can make a character look more heroic and look and make him look more villainous and literally sometimes in the same panel. It's all about how to pull that off and, you know, dealing with certain writers that make you peer into that kind of uh, technique. Um, it's always a godsend because it actually pushes you to be able to tell a story in a certain way. And that's usually the way I use the role when I tell stories anyway. You have to tell it like it's, uh, like it was an actual movie being put down in, uh, you know, in spots, in panel form down in a 2D surface. So people could really find themselves really getting into it. So uh, I'm glad that actually came through. Yeah, I mean, at least to my eye, um, I certainly thought so. And to that, you were able to blend a lot of things, and Joe, too, you're able to blend a lot of the Marvel units together, because you have the Spider-Man element, obviously, but in Ricochet, you have essentially a young X-Men character, and then mm-hmm. you have other corners of the Marvel Universe coming out, and you mentioned you wanted to do Asgard later, and I felt like that would have flowed with this book in a way that it wouldn't have others. How, how are you balancing all those elements or is it not a big deal uh it felt organic to me i mean you know getting back to what i was saying earlier i was trying to apply what seemed to me at the time to be a very relevant uh uh timely kind of storytelling whether or not it was or whether or not it still would seem that way you know again your mileage may vary but i i was definitely you know i had grown up being an intern and working hard on film sets around New York city. And I, I spent a lot of time kicking around like the offices of Miramax and, you know, when October films was on Bleecker street in Manhattan and New York film was really a thing. And New York gritty film was what it was supposed to be. So everything like had this, this real indie quality to it. And I, and, and that was just where I, that's what I try. That's what I looked for. And so just going with that idea, I, it was just organic from the beginning. So I didn't really, it was that, that part wasn't really hard for me. Um, executing it as we went along, maybe that got a little harder, but definitely. Hey, Chris, did you have any feelings toward that, that about, um, blending all the Marvel universe together? Cause you're able to bring in some elements that just played off. Like it was no big thing. Well, I'm glad it, came off that way uh, that's kind of i guess that's what a, a good person that does what they do well always makes it look like that uh it, it was no big deal but it was always a big deal because the usually the amount of reference you have to pull in to make sure you got each character looking right looking right in the first place and be able to make it all seamless like it's not like something they just kind of smacked in there and try to give them full you know full blaze and visual glory in, the, in another person's book but you want to be able to make sure that everything, uh, like I said, as far, as far as telling a story, you want to make sure that the story is uh, being told in such a way that actually works with, uh, in conjunction with, uh, say, what Joe Harris's script will be like. And that, um, you can prove you actually being able to tell a story and make the characters act in a certain way that it's not just pinups in a book, but an actual story being, you know, being put in, in a particular progress that makes it a nice, fluid, seeming, um, uh, story from beginning to end from the uh, beginning of the story to the, to the time that last page is to turn into. And to do in a way that makes you want to see that next book ready to come in. So, I mean, that's one of the things that you learn from all the old greats, you know. Uh, they always push that, 
that uh, the story is usually more important than the actual art itself. And usually if you're telling the story a certain way, uh, you'll do what needs to be done to make sure the art looks a certain way also. So, um, like I said, I'm just glad that uh, you are able to see that extra work that came through at my uh, dinner, uh, talent and ability and experience uh, working with Joe. Great. Uh, throughout a lot of Slingers, more so than other books, I felt like a lot more time was actually spent on college and at the campus and with their personal lives. And the college in particular, felt very lived in. And I was wondering if certain details or aspects were pulled from your lives or if you guys just were able to make that sing. Well, I didn't, I mean, I didn't go away. I didn't go away to college myself. I mean, I visited friends on campuses, so I had some idea what that was like. Um, And I wasn't that far past that age when uh, I was writing those scenes. I mean, myself and my peers were really only a few years out of school. Uh, At best, in fact, I think I was only out of film school like a year pretty much when I started working at Marvel. Um, So, I mean, that experience was fresh uh, for me. Um, You know, and I also I think I just relied on on old storylines where Peter would be at Empire State University and kind of starting from there and then applying what I knew uh, after those familiar touches that felt very Spider-Man comics. You know what I mean? And. Just being of that age, I guess, you know, I guess I had some experience to lend and, you know, maybe at least the intention was to make it feel a little more real than maybe it might have superficially been shown in a in a Spider-Man story in the past. Awesome. Yeah, I think with me, with, with me, I had gone to a school of visual arts and uh, also I had met a lot of people in different colleges in New York City and some places in upstate New York. So I was able to, you know, take a trip and go to certain campuses, especially like uh, certain, a, a small place I remember in, uh, I, know, I think it was Rochester, Rochelle, maybe Rochelle, New York, something like that. Uh, some really small campus that was like practically a living city at that point. And uh, I remember a lot of those, uh, the, that kind of campus life where people just kind of had to run from building to building, go run and catch a, you know, get a coffee on campus, or like a store that might have been, or a series of stores that might have been set up like a strip mall right across the street from the school itself, and then they'd go right back to class again. And um, working, actually being an alumni in School of Visual Arts, it's kind of the same way, but each, like, each building is in a different part of New York. So I kind of remember a lot of those uh, classes and like, the kind of the air of what it looked like to be a student, get from kind of settling from place to place to be able to meet your classes and stuff, and t- kind of trying to add that that atmosphere into the books that... Uh, that uh, Rather the script that uh, um, Joe was putting together, so it was a little little bit of uh, stuff that I might have seen, little stuff I was part, little stuff I participated in, and also a little stuff that I actually lived through. So um, I just I'm glad that it came through. But none of the campuses I've been through look anything like the stuff I drew. That's for sure. <laughs> that's awesome. Uh, <laughs> to setting, I-, I wanted to ask what brought on the billboard that was in most of the issues, and then what prompted you to bring it to life? Uh, I don't know. I was probably looking for, uh, we, you know, we, we, we started talking about where this, you know, quote-unquote team, they never really act like a superhero team, right? They're just kind of like these kids that have been, ended up with these identities, and it fucks up their lives, and now they're coping. Um, you know, they, 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 they would hang out on a rooftop, and I don't remember exactly how the idea came together, but 
I'm sure it's in the script in detail. You know, I, I'd never seen New York kind of go meta in terms of just, uh, 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 you know, why wouldn't there be, why wouldn't New York embrace its, its superhero population? I mean, this is pre-Civil War Marvel. This is pre, um, it just seemed like a neat idea I hadn't seen done before. And, and Cross pulled it off really well. I think isn't Captain America's shield animated or something like that? Uh, I think that might have been the biggest part of the whole... Uh, I think if I remember right now, I'm trying to get into it. I think something about the billboard came alive. Something made it come alive, but it well, was no, I think up. Mephisto made it come. Made, Mephisto, made them right. all come alive, right? And that right didn't it, isn't that isn't that how the <laughs> forgive me isn't that how the final storyline went? Oh, Cross, you weren't even you weren't on the book though, were you? When, when yeah, I think I, I might have I might have done some uh, breakdowns for some of the pages, but I think I know I definitely did the cover for it. Um, right, 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 right. Yeah, 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 yeah. You, you, you drew them all like exaggerated and, and, and lunging coming out of the, out of where they've been set and all that. I remember that cover. Yeah, um, I once again feeling really bad about that because I wanted to draw the actual characters, but. Yeah, you know, I thought I, it was neat fun. I mean, let's, you know, we knew it was going to be our final storyline. So, yeah. um, I figured let's, you know, this was pre Marvel zombies, I guess, where you hadn't seen these sort of iterations of, of characters and, and, you know, we got to draw these kind of grotesque monstrous versions of Captain America and the Hulk and mm-hmm. have our characters beat on them. And, uh, it was fun. Just felt like, you know, good, clean fun. Yeah. I think we just basically had a lot of fun with the books. We were, we were really going to do anything really serious. I mean, I mean, the, the series that really came through black Marvel, I think, but, um, uh, that was more, that kind of, played off a certain history and stuff like that. But um I thought it was a good way to kinda of get the book moving, but um and I guess it kind of fizzled out by the time we got to the whole billboard saga, I guess. I call it billboard saga. But uh I thought I had fun with the book. I really did. Well that that issue where I think we introduced the billboard, I think was my favorite issue, the the truth or dare issue. Mm-hmm. I like that one the best because we had established these characters a little bit. We had we had, you know, our tensions were where they were and they'd been through their opening story arc and they had all these questions. And I just, I just liked gathering them all to play a, to play a game like that. Um, right. and that, and that's where it came out, right. Well, they're, where they're hanging out on the rooftop for the first time together. Right. Right. That was one, one, one in particular too. I said, uh, one of my favorite stories too, with, uh, I think it was the orphan maker. I think it was. The name, uh, that was the one of my, character. that was my other favorite issue. Yeah. That was a good one. Nanny and orphan maker. Yeah, the the egg with the right. the hands and the that's, arms. That's 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 one of two different nanny and orphan maker stories I wrote for Marvel because <laughs> um, I really like those characters and and uh, those those number six and I think was it was it number nine? Is that the nanny and orphan maker story? Those are my two favorites. Yeah, you got them both. I think it was around nine. Yeah, it's six and nine, like you said, truth and error at six and the orphan maker at nine. And I think the last. Uh, cover idea was for issue twelve, I think. It would yeah, have to be, yeah. Yeah. Um, I wanted to ask about issue six actually, because in issue five you have Prodigy presumed dead, comic book death, and then he's. Mm-hmm. I wanted him to be dead for a while. They made me bring him back. Okay, uh, he was on the cover. You think it was? You think it was because they knew they were going to want him ending it at some point? Pro- uh, maybe. Maybe. I mean, mm. I, I guess. I can't remember enough. I'm pretty sure I would have rather had him had that death mean something. Mm-hmm. 
Um, but I don't remember enough about it to complain. It's kind of like, uh, it's kind of, he comes back at the very, very end and I'm almost certain that was a, oh, we need to bring him back. And is there any way we can give you another page and get that out or however it came together? Right. Interesting. I, I wanted to ask though, cause he's on the cover of the very next issue and I was wondering if that was an editorial thing so it didn't spoil anything with, um, solicits. I remember. Or... Fair enough. That was my biggest detail <laughs> question, but I had to ask because that's bugged me for many a year. <laughs> well, the one thing that actually bugged me, and I get to finally say it now, they can't do nothing about it. Um, uh, <laughs> Great. There was, a particular, there was a particular cover that I did. Um, I'm going to look for it. I think it was number five. Okay. Yeah, I think it was number five. There was a particular cover that I did for number five where I had Prodigy holding up all this mass full of like, you know, right. rock and masonry and stuff. And I did this really cool, uh, this really cool logo of sl- the slingers out of like piping and, and like springs and uh, some rocks and some, some, uh, some, uh, some rungs and stuff like that. And they all came together looking like some ride, an automobile ride of like, like of Akira. And it kind of, that cover gave me the idea to do that. And I'm, I sent that bad boy in. They're looking at it. And they go, uh, dude, who's, I forgot who the editor of slingers was at the time, but. They looked at it and they're like, oh, it was Ruben. Are, it was Ruben. Ruben, right. He said, we already got a, uh, uh, we already have a, a logo for this. I said, dude, I said, but I think it'd be really cool to be able to have this up there. It kind of matches with everything else. And you can just have the colors kind of go in, kind of, uh, kind of flesh it out, but it'll add to the really coolness of the particular cover because it's organic. Right. He goes, well, we'll see what we can do. We'll see what we can do. And I'm like, dude, don't say that and tell me I go around looking and I see, that logo being mapped over by something you already put up there. <laughs> and he said, no, I want to do that to you. I want to do that to you, dog. He did that to me, dog. <laughs> oh, that's brutal. And I'm sitting there looking like, look at that. So basically, there was no real internet stuff going on back in the day. So I only really could go around and show people the stuff that I, really, I took all that time to do. But basically, that, that whole, like, drawn logo that I put together made of just mixed match parts and stuff like that got covered over by the logo. Which is, everybody else will kind of look at it and go, well, it's no big deal. But if you could look, if there's somewhere you can look in, like in between it, you could actually see like the S, maybe the S or the G or something like that. And some, like the, the uh, S is literally right underneath the actual S that they posted on top of it. But they colored it all bluish, I think it was. I see what you mean. Yeah. That's I the stuff of iconic covers, like that Hulk one where he's like holding the letters of Hulk and Rock or the Superman sure, one. Where exactly. He's That's yeah. all I was thinking of. Yeah. But a whole lot more intricate. And I went through all, I said, must have took me at least another three hours to do. And I'm looking like, you didn't even use it? Come on, man. I'd love to see it. That's crazy. Yeah, I don't even know where that, that page is now. I have to find, if I can find it, it's probably locked up in some, some of my, uh, cases somewhere in the back somewhere but now i'm gonna have to go look for it so i can actually post it to get some kind of love for it <laughs> that's crazy yeah i want to see it too <laughs> yeah, as soon as i find him i'll post that bad boy like eat that y'all eat that Ruben. <laughs> well, he ain't even in congress no more but still but yeah that I, that that was another thing that kind of uh like really got my nerves after a while too i was like I would try these really, really cool concepts and they were kind of, you know, like, well, we never really did that before, so we don't think we should start doing it now. I'm like, this is a house of ideas. You can do anything you want. <laughs> What's up? You know. <laughs> but, you know, I guess as long as it came out, but I thought it'd be really, really cool if people actually got to see it because 
poor Rob Soul had to ink that, and then never got sold either. Oh, that's that's crazy. I'm shocked they wouldn't use that because that's really cool. That's good stuff. Um, so I, I wanted to ask each of you to maybe a bit of a bigger idea is who you'd consider to be the Slinger's biggest villain throughout this run because they spend so much time dealing with each other that I, I was curious what you thought about the antagonists. <laughs> I would think it would be definitely Black Marvel because he had the biggest stake in it, right? It was, it was yeah, yeah story. I would say so. I would have loved to have, you know, built out more of a rogues gallery if we had gotten to go longer. I mean, the book really took its time with that stuff. It didn't really, it didn't, I, I mean, I, I remember thinking at the time, this doesn't feel like what I thought at the time a conventional Marvel comic should, should or felt like. At least I thought we were, you know, trying to transcend something in some, you know, really young, uh, naive way. Mm. Um. Yeah, I mean that's 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 what I could say about that. <laughs> he was just a golden age character, though, right? Yeah, 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 yeah. He was someone we brought back from. I think it was the Atlas Comics days because, again, at a, at a, I had to scramble late in the game to find a substitute for Mysterio, um, mm. where I very much wanted to write something around. Um, and I would have loved to have have done more, you know, build out the Rose Gallery again if we had gotten to do another year we would have definitely uh brought in another couple of people I, I remember there was this other story i really wanted to do for year two i just wanted to do a variation on that classic story and and the title of this story was the girl who collected ricochet and i remember that being in one of my proposals for uh year two and yeah i was going to give johnny gallo a stalker um hmm. uh i don't remember anything else about her but it was going to be a very uh, fatal attraction ish kind of story. Um, hmm. yeah. <laughs> yeah, right. It was like the boy who collected Spider Man, but a really, really, really dark and twisted take on that. Like Ricochet by the closest Spider Man she was going to get, so they, she collected him. <laughs> no, literally. Yeah. Oh, yeah. So she, she knew his, uh, so I guess she knew his, uh, uh alter ego, huh? I don't know. I don't remember the details. I just know that uh. that was going to, it was going to be a really, dark take on that classic uplifting Spider-Man story. <laughs> so is Johnny going to have a thing where he had some sort of like amazing charisma or something? Cause that's, that would be three girls going after him and no one else in the book. <laughs> uh. Well, I, I would guess so. Cause uh, I'm a, I mean, even the other character, even prodigy at some point, the way I kind of depicted him, he was, you know, a pretty handsome character himself. So, who knows? Maybe he probably have been, been the one that could could have been uh picked because he was the strongest one. And if he hadn't, uh, if he was supposed to die, that could have been one of the ways he could have died. <laughs> yeah. That'd yeah, I know. Dark. We're getting into the weeds with plans on this book that I just do yeah. not recall. Yeah. Yeah. Totally. Um. Like we're brainstorming stuff that was already brainstormed. <laughs> right. Right. And that do. You, I, I, not to get in the weeds anymore, but were there any other like plans you guys had around the book that uh, you weren't able to get to? Because you already mentioned a few, and they're fascinating. Yeah, I mean, like I said, Asgard was one, and I'm, I'm sure I had a very, very rudimentary idea to want to bring him into space, just because why not? I mean, we took them to hell, uh, and I had wanted to do a, a hell story before... Mephisto had his renaissance at Marvel some years ago, you know, so Mephisto was a little out of fashion when we, mm. when we brought him back because I always loved, 
uh, you know, those Thor Mephisto episode, those Thor Mephisto issues. There was one uh, annual from way back during Walt Simonson's run that Walt mm-hmm. didn't actually write. Uh, a science fiction author, I think his name was Alan Zeleneth, wrote it, and it involved um, uh, it involved Thor being pulled down into hell along with uh, one of the rock trolls. And they had to, they had to, they had to, uh, complete some arduous quest and, and, you know, they were going to have to work together if they wanted to get out of here. And it was really, really well done. I don't remember who drew that annual, but it was really formative and it, and, and the memory of that really informed, um, what we did in that final story arc involving the Black Marvel soul and Mephisto. Also, uh, I love Johnny Blaze era Ghost Rider. So a lot of this stuff really, filtered into my thinking in terms of what we would take from Marvel history to use. It's a shame, shame we didn't get to all that stuff. Yeah. I love it. funky. Yeah, it'd be cool to be able to draw a motorcycle for once and then, uh, you know, have him on fire doing some really cool stuff. Yeah, that's the character you read all the time. I mean, you know, I remember seeing a lot of this stuff thinking to myself, yeah, it'd be cool if I finally got into getting into comics to draw this stuff, and you find that stuff right in front of you. Uh, especially doing like Captain Marvel, I, I never knew I would be able to draw that character, but <clears throat> it was really cool to be able to work on anything that was at least in in the venue of like like adjacent of the Spider-Man universe. So it was cool to be able to work with Marvel and work with uh, Slinger to begin with, even if it was for for the most part eight issues. I think on my part eight or nine, and um, it's kind of I think I forgot who wound up taking over from it from there, but didn't uh didn't Ricochet have his own book at one point? Uh, he was on a team called the Losers, uh, right? The Losers? Which, which spun out of uh, BKV's uh, uh, Runaways. Uh, uh, didn't that spin out of the Runaways? Yes. Yeah. Oh, he was on Runaways. Yeah. Hmm. I think I might have been in my cave at that point. <laughs> Fair enough. That was the point where I was just doing so much work. I couldn't, I didn't have time to go out and buy a lot of books. I was just concentrating on the stuff I was, material I was dealing with. Kind of part of an experiment to see if I wasn't looking at other stuff, could I still put out really good material and not be influenced by other stuff that I already saw. But, um, I think me and a friend of mine, uh, actually talked about doing something like that to see what kind of artists we wound up becoming if we, uh, kind of took ourselves out of the loop a bit and just, Look at nothing but other stuff outside of the industry and see what would happen. And did that work out, or did anything well, come out? I out? think so. I got, yeah, I got to grow. I think my art grew a lot more from there, especially being able to tell the stories, tell stories, and learn more about you know how backgrounds actually can be as much of a character to uh, the storytelling process as the actual figures themselves, and um, be able to access more. You can become a lot more intelligent about what's out there, so you can bring more to the script that's been put in front of you. Like if Joe was to throw something at me now, it'd be definitely a whole lot more different in the way I'm thinking about telling the story now than it would have been back then. So um, it would be a lot more fleshed out, probably a lot more solid, not too cartoony. I think I was kind of still trying to figure out who I was at that point. I was still trying to figure that out, but I guess that's part of the process. And uh, you want to make sure that the stuff is, um, you know, on online, uh, to the point where, you know, you know, it has its muscles with it when you want to uh, make sure that people are looking at it. You know, I mean? people want to know that you put your all into it. Okay. And the culmination, the culmination of all the stuff I learned, what 
there's definitely a whole lot more now, of course, being in the game this long, uh, as opposed to how I was when I started doing this as a newbie. Yeah, well, it's good that you're growing after 20 years, you know. <laughs> yeah, oh, I'm still we would have we would have gone to the negative zone too. I don't mean to interject in the middle. <laughs> oh, great! I'm, well, I'm that's, sure that's kind of space. I'm pretty. I'm pretty sure. Yeah, yeah. I just had. Yeah, we'll go here. We'll go there. We'll go. We'll go to this other place. I'm pretty sure we would have tried to resolve whatever had been Spider-Man's experience in the negative zone with what made our dusk. Right. Our dusk. And I don't remember exactly what that was going to be, to be honest with you. But oh. we would have tried to thread all those needles and sew it up. Ah, that's killing me. I want to read all this now. Uh, so, one question I just want to interject real quick is, how does it feel to have a fairly fondly remembered Mephisto story compared to uh, the renaissance of Mephisto that you mentioned? Is that true? I, as far as I know. Uh, first, I'm hearing it. Oh, well, I, maybe I'm making things up. In my little cr- I have a handful of friends that, you know, if we all agree, I assume it's true of the world. That's good enough for me. Thank you. Well, um, I'm saying if it is, it's good. Man. I'm awesome. That's awesome. Good to be a part of it. Well, I, like I said, I always liked Mephisto. As far as over-the-top, you know, larger-than-life devil characters, he was always one of my favorites, so. Well, John Buscema had this really cool way of making sure you never forgot him, so. Yeah. You know, once once he put him out, it's kind of hard to kind of top what he did. God, I love John Buscema. Yeah. Yeah, he's someone we've brought up on the show before. He's a, he's a favorite of ours. Um, who, of the Slingers, which one is your guys' favorite? Well, I'll say the easiest to draw was Dusk. Until she took the mask off, right? <laughs> That's where you yeah. the easiest one was Dusk. <laughs> um, um, I would say Ricochet for me, because he had all the best lines. <laughs> all right. I think Ricochet would be the easiest one to say, but I would think... Actually, Hornet, because uh, the thought process that you know that he's relatable in the way that uh, he was—he had a physical impairment that kind of went away when he put the uh, the armor on. It was that classic Shazam moment, you know. Right. This is a little kid that becomes this, this bigger, uh, mightiest mortal version of himself, and was able to do a whole lot more, and it dealt more with the heart of the person than just. His abilities, you know, his physical abilities. I was proud of that. That's one of the that's one of the takeaways. I think that if I'm proud of you know things from that book, I think that's one of them that we that we did have a character who embodied that. And I got I I every once in a while I still get random emails through my website from people who tell me that character meant a lot to them. That's cool. <laughs> yeah, I'm all about redemptive uh, characters and characters that have a. Uh, a certain weakness, but their spirit makes them stronger than everybody else, so they do a whole lot more. Something like, it makes people think a bit. It's not the run-of-the-mill character. You know? And then, I always think that uh, characters like that provide stories, and then the stories kind of, if you do it, do it right way, the stories kind of fulfill the, the mission statement of that character in a way that makes every all the other characters have to step up. He was noble. He had heart. I like I liked Hornet and Ricochet's banter. I, I like the two of them as friends. Um mm-hmm. That was fun to do. If this question is one too far, let me know. But I was wondering if uh, Hornet's palsy details, if any of that came from somewhere, if that was just research and you needed something to build the character. Uh, yeah, I don't remember <coughs> specifically if, if, if I modeled uh, that character on anybody. I mean, 
his alter ego's name was an amalgam of, of uh, my brother and a childhood friend uh, kind of smushed their names together to be Eddie McDonough. I remember that. Um, but I don't, I, you know, I'm sure I modeled him very loosely on different kids. I probably knew growing up at different times as a, as a kid in Brooklyn and in the suburbs and, um, sort of the, the kid who, who had a very, very noticeable, uh, hearing aid or had a palsied arm or, you know, what it, my memory of how other that kid seemed in a class full of little kids, um, probably filtered down, but I don't have one, I don't have one, uh, role model for that, uh, uh, for that archetype that, that that I can tell you, I, I, I modeled uh, Hornet on. It was it was more just a collection of experiences. Cool. Oh, I guess visual mind. I I kind of use <clears throat> look of a guy that I used to hang out with in school of visual arts, and um, <laughs> he wasn't he didn't have the palsied arm, but of course he had the the crazy uh, flyed out hair, the goatee, <laughs> the painter's painter, you know, with the glasses and the whole bit. So I was like, yeah, I'm going to use it. I'm going to borrow from his face for a bit, see where it goes. But yeah, actually, it just he just looked like the character. That's that's really cool. Okay. Well, it's good to know that you, it's cool that you're borrowing, but not, you know, overly so that it's coming from somewhere. Because that was something I felt throughout the entire book. No, I mean, like we both said, it has to be organic, otherwise it's not going to work. Right. And, Chris, I know you said you, you know, had your uh, time where you locked yourself away, or however you put that. Um, but have you guys seen any of the Slingers as they continued through Marvel, or are you just uh, not privy to that? I actually I- lost track. I mean, you told me. From what uh, uh, Joe was telling me, it was the whole, about the whole Runaways thing. I didn't even know that. Uh, I might have actually seen it and totally forgot about it. But uh, like well, I, said, I know, Mark, I know Marvel brought them back recently, right? In one of the one of the, the one of the revolving titles, I think was it the, the new Scarlet Spider book? Is that where they they reemerged? That's it. That's the one. How's that been? Uh, I loved it, um, but I feel like that was a book written specifically for me, so I don't know what the general okay. reception is. <laughs> oh, okay. Uh, but they've also, like, Prodigy in particular has b- become a, like, B character, I want to say. He was a big part of the post-Civil War era and kind of leading into it as well. I, I vaguely remember knowing that. I don't remember if I absorbed it at the time. You know, every time a new every time a new Marvel movie franchise comes out, I, I cross my fingers and hope they'll forget to uh, they'll, they'll end up having to pay me something for using something I created that we both forgot about. But um, <laughs> <laughs> I think, funny enough, I vaguely remember seeing some some sort of toy. That actually had the slingers on it somewhere in Toys R Us at some point. Really? Yeah, like uh, like wow, like a long time ago. I remember seeing it going, "Oh snap, they got slingers toys." I like, why did that. I not get any of that? You know, I think Ricochet <laughs> had a doll. I I remember getting the the card game cards at one point. I remember having one of each of those, one of the Marvel card games that came out, and I remember picking up all the cards for each of the characters many years ago. But that's the extent of my uh my licensed merchandise. Hmm. Yeah, I remember seeing that thinking like, oh, they could do that a little better, but I mean, I'm drawing the book. They should hook me up, man. That's what I was thinking. <laughs> but, you know, 
I mean, I, there's several things, especially when it comes to comps that I should have gotten that I didn't get. But uh, it's all right. You can, the good thing about it is nowadays, you know, through uh, the magic of uh, apps and Amazon, you can find that stuff, hopefully. That's true. That's very true. Uh, and then I, I want to know, uh, for however much you remember now, looking back, do you are you guys pretty happy with what you put out on the Slingers, or are you kind of glad it, it, the world has moved on? Well, uh, on my end, um, well, it's, it's, when I look at it, it's kind of a, a reminiscing, reminiscing type thing for me. It's just like, you know, I, I was thinking a certain way, I was feeling a certain way, I looked a certain way, I was kind of going through certain things in my life at that time that I can actually kind of uh, commiserate with doing that particular project. So in some cases I miss it, in a lot of cases I don't. But when it comes to characters themselves, um, I thought it had been pretty cool if we were able to at least, you know, make them a household name uh, for Marvel, through Marvel, and um, for ourselves. And be able to say that each one of these characters became big enough so that now that they're all hitting in a cinematic stride, I think it'd be really cool to know that our names are connect, connected to a project that could have actually made it a lot bigger, like cartoons or, um, you know, a movie of some sort or something that now it would hit Netflix. And I think that would have been pretty cool. Um, but I had fun with the book to begin with. I'm pretty sure hopefully it showed through the pages and hopefully it showed through my ability to tell the story that uh, Joe wanted to tell in a certain way. but I'm, I'm, Yeah, I mean, I'm cool with it. It's kind of, mm. I, I mean, if I look back at it, I'm sure I, you know, I'll, I'll do the usual cringe if I start trying to read the pages because that's just the way it's going to go. I was, I was learning how to do this like completely unmentored and like, you know, I thought I knew what I was doing, but I didn't really know what I was doing at all. And, um, but there are moments I'm sure that, uh, still resonate with me that, and so, so I'm willing, I can leave it alone and say, yeah, no, I'm proud of this. It's the first thing I ever did. I was really green. I was a brand new writer in this industry, uh, really young working at Marvel. It seemed like a dream come true. And, uh, it was a trip. Yeah, it definitely was. Like I said, I mean, for what it was, it is what it is. And the, I guess the way, the way it went kind of had to go where, it, where it did didn't have to, but, the way it did was uh, pretty good. We made enough of a mark that people are still talking about it. So the only thought process from here is like, if they liked it that, then just imagine how good it would have been. We would have been able to get like another another uh, year's worth of books out of it, at least. Right. Yeah. And then, you know, I tried to cover the gambit there, but were there any details you guys wanted to mention that I just didn't think to ask about? Uh, Joe? I don't think so nothing i don't that, that there's not the, you know my, my slinger's completest mind isn't screaming we have to talk about this i don't i don't really i can't think of anything else okay yeah me either i mean uh i think well i guess it's one of those things where we put it all on the floor as they say in basketball and there's really nothing else to say about it the fact that we had fun doing it awesome okay well then, I mean, I don't really have anything else. Do you guys want to point people to what you're doing now or what's upcoming so they can continue following your awesome stuff? Uh, well, you can just follow me on social media. I'm at Joe Harris, uh, pretty much everything. Um, and I've got a bunch of new things in the works, but nothing to announce yet. I have a new series with Oni in the works and a new graphic novel that we're going to be announcing somewhere else. Uh, and I'm working on a horror podcast. I'm really excited to unveil the people um hopefully later this year 
that's all I can say about that at the moment. Cool. Yeah, I guess on my end, uh, I still have my eternal kick venture that I'm putting together, uh, the company that I created for myself, and uh, I have to redo the website. Some things happen. I have to uh, do the mainly thing and get that refixed the way I need it to be. Um, I was putting some, putting some of my own stuff together also to be, uh, be able to fulfill that company logo. And, um, I just finished doing some stuff with, uh, with, uh, Lion Forge and the Catalyst Prime stuff for Aquino. I did five issues of that. That's probably most likely going to be, uh, a trade paperback sometime early next year. Doing the task of finishing up, uh, some of the bank shot stuff because it kind of got left off. Some things happened and, uh, things got picked up again. So we want to finish that off. That's going to be another, uh, Trade paperback, trade paperback next year. You know, do a lot of cover work and stuff like that. So, and you know, hooking up to try to get some other stuff ready to go. So, other than I'm still busy, still trying to get that stuff out there, but uh, I'm having fun doing it. Awesome. Well, again, thank you both so much for taking the time and making this interview super easy. I feel like I barely had to ask you guys. Basically, went between yourselves. <laughs> Wasn't like pulling teeth, huh? No, no. <laughs> cool. Cool. <laughs> well, we better be able to say something. We've been doing this for a while, you know. Yeah, totally. If it mess up, we were giving one-word answers on purpose just to mess with you. <laughs> <laughs> I haven't hit that yet. Yes, no. <laughs> yeah, but it was, this was a great interview. I had fun with it. Great. Glad to hear. Well, that is that. We'd both like to thank again Joseph Harris and Chris Cross for their time. But we'd also like to thank you listeners. Without your support and verbal demands and affirmations that Slinger Month actually happened, none of this would have happened. I'll be honest, I was completely joking when I first brought up Slinger's Month. But hey, that's showbiz. I'm glad we did this and uh, I think we got some good stuff out of it. Like, you know, this interview. And I also thought our Slinger's episode was really good. I hope you guys also enjoyed that. Um... Matt, any any final notes from you before we close be, uh, close this chapter on the Slingers? My only thing to add is a small request. If this got any of you to go out and check out Slingers, if you got anything from these last two episodes especially, please reach out to us, talk to us. I want to hear about you know any connections you guys have to the Slingers, because it's been a small little mission of mine for the month to try to get more people to check this out. And this felt like the vehicle and time to do it. So I, I just love to know if there is any actual reception or if we're just kind of blowing to the wind with all this. <laughs> well, speaking of blowing to the wind, where do we go from here? Our next block is titled like sands in the hourglass. So Matt, you know what that means? Oh man, are we gonna be talking about everyone's favorite villain, yes. the Time Master? No, Sandman! Alright, we're gonna be talking about Sandman! So get out your spider pens and papers, because we're gonna be talking about Marvel 2 and 186, Amazing Spider-Man 281, Peter Parker's Spider-Man 22, Peter Parker's Spider-Man 56 and 57, and a uh, listener request... Amazing Spider-Man 615 and 616. So we're going to be covering five different stories in this block. Eagle-eyed and well-read Spider-Man, or 
eagle-eyed and well-read Sandman aficionados might recognize some of these titles, this block is loosely following the redemption arc of Sandman that starts with that two-in-one issue and officially ends in Peter Parker's Spider-Man 12, but we'll see how that change informs the character in the other three stories in that block. I'm excited for it. I think that Spider- or I think that Sandman is one of the more underappreciated Spider-Man villains. Uh, do you have any opinions on him, Matt? Any, like, preformed? Like, are, are you familiar with any of these stories? I mean, I I know so, I know some, not all. I honestly always thought Sandman was maybe one of the more overwrought Spider-Man villains. Okay, then. I I don't think he deserved to be in that movie, but maybe that's to his uh, benefit. Uh, I would say that his handling in the movie was not super great. There were anyway, anyway. Uh... <laughs> Thanks to everyone for tuning in. <laughs> You can follow our show on Twitter and Facebook for updates and, you know, general musings, especially on Twitter. We like to mess around a bit. Uh, We also have a Patreon for $3.99 a month. Uh, You get granted access to our Spider-Man B title reviews, the Amazing Spider Talks, Amazing Spider-Man reviews, as well as the VIP channel on that Slack community, the Amazing Spider Slack. We also have a second tier for all you Uncle Moneybags out there. $10 a month gets you commissioned artwork from Spider-Man artists you can't get anywhere else twice a year. Huh. Man, I just get fired up about that Patreon. <laughs> all right. Uh, special thanks again to the Ellie Badge for providing our kick butt theme song. If you want to listen to more from the Ellie Badge, Check out them show notes. Matt, where can we find you on the internet this week? At MagicalMatt42 on the tweeters. How about you, Kane? Also, Matt, MagicalMatt42 on Twitter. We're just sharing all our Twitter accounts now. Oh, no. (laughs) I'm going to read all your DMs. (laughs) All right. Till Kane and I are buried under a rubble of our own show's title. Made within the cover make mine untold <laughs>